Hey guys, today I have an awesome show for you with Jason Kanzler of Kanzler Performance. Jason, somebody that I've worked with or collaborated with uh, in the last few months, and we've put together the uh, eight-week speed program that I think is going to be really, really beneficial to you guys. If any of you guys are slow and want to get faster or you know, you're already fast and want to get even faster, uh, this program is for you. I know it's going to help you guys out so much. This is something that me and Jason, I can speak for Jason here, uh, wish we had when we were younger, wish we had access to this knowledge. And, you know, I think this is going to be really beneficial to you guys. And um, I know I, 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 I'm sorry I keep plugging the speed program, but like when I believe in something and uh, I know it can help a lot of people, I'm going to plug the hell out of it because this is a question I get all the time about uh, about from kids, like how can I improve my speed, et cetera. And this program is the best in my opinion to improve your speed and the best part about it is it's free so make sure you go down that download that right now on ownthoffseason.com and um, more about the show today uh, I, I want to make a quick note the sound quality is uh, a little bad on this podcast uh, I'm using an app on my phone to record this because uh, Jason's in Texas and I'm in New York so um, obviously we couldn't meet up so the uh, audio quality isn't the best but I mean, all the information is going to be there. Uh, there are some times where I uh, get cut out for some reason. Um, but like I said, all the information is there. I'm going to work on getting um, better podcast equipment for the uh, episodes going going forward. But just want to make a quick note about that. And without further ado, let's get into today's show with Jason. What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode 17 of the Simone Baseball Performance Podcast. Today I'm joined by my man, Jason Kanzler. If you guys have been following me, on the internet, you know that me and Jason just released a eight-week speed program free of charge. A uh, little side note here, if you guys haven't picked that up yet, stop listening to this podcast right now, go check it out, download it, grab your free copy. But uh, anyway, so me and Jason put this eight-week speed program together that we're really excited about. And in addition to that, we're also putting together a 16-week high school baseball off-season training program that we're really excited about. Um, it's going to be available later this summer. But before we talk about all that, we're going to talk about that later on today's episode. Uh, I want Jason to, you know, start by um, introducing himself, telling everybody a little bit about yourself, Jason, and, you know, how you became a pro- professional baseball player and so on. Uh, well, first of all, Alex, I really appreciate you having me on your show. Um, means a lot to me. I will try to keep this brief. Um, I... Went to high school in New York, upstate New York, Rochester area. I know a lot of your listeners are from there and a lot of the people you train, Syracuse area. Um, I went to college and played college baseball at the University of Buffalo, which interestingly enough now has a defunct baseball program. They no longer have a baseball program. That was this past year was the first year of that. Um, and then from there, I played professionally in the Twins organization. And we can go more into how all that happened, um, if you want. Yeah, so I guess start with, I know we've talked about, we actually talked about this the other night, I didn't know this, that you were, um, you weren't even offered a college scholarship out of high school, correct? Uh, that's correct. I was completely unrecruited out of high school. I, um, I don't think... Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, I, there might have been one Division three like feeler offer from, I can't remember the exact name of the school. It was some technical school out of California. Very smart. Um, The, uh, the baseball program was like literally last on their totem pole of things that were important to that school. Uh, I don't even remember the name of the school. It was a who knows program. Um, And I think I just got a mailer from them. But other than that, I was totally unrecruited. And so I went to college out of high school, uh, at Northeastern University in Boston as a straight student, no baseball whatsoever. I tried to walk on to the baseball team there um, after attending a camp in the summer. They kind of invited me as a semi-preferred walk-on. And okay. after four weeks, I believe, they released their final fall roster. They kind of had a somewhat of a tryout process. Really, it was just an evaluation process over a month. And I did not make the the fall roster. So I was ostensibly cut from trying out at Northeastern University baseball. So I spent a full year as a student, no baseball. 
holy shit, man. I, I hate to, I hate to, I hate to, uh, I didn't know any of this before. And Jason told me like last week when we were on the, or texting, he told me he was, um, when I told him I wanted to do a podcast, he told me he was uh, unrecruited and I was shocked. I didn't even know. And I said, wait till the podcast. I want to find out. But I didn't know that because literally that's the same thing that happened to me. I went to Siena college my freshman year and same thing like preferred walk on, whatever you want to call it. And as soon as they released the, um, fall rosters i didn't make the team and i went the whole 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 uh, semester at sienna that's crazy oh uh, yeah it's crazy how our stories kind of connect there but um yeah yeah i guess what happened uh after that year um how did so, you get back into baseball so um i kind of i kind of got the impression from being around the other division one players that were already on the team and all the other freshmen that i was more or less trying out with that i was just physically not up to par, uh, at least to play Division One baseball. Um, I was always, I guess, skinny in high school. I was pretty fast and pretty athletic, but very skinny. And when I got to Northeastern, it was really obvious that it was my, I guess, my body that was holding me back. My body and, you know, by an extension, the things I could do on the baseball field because of that, because they were very limited compared to everyone else there, especially, you know, the juniors and the seniors who were basically grown men at that point. Um, so I spent, I kind of got the bug to start lifting weights. And I, I literally spent eight months just um, following a very basic full body, three days a week, linear progression program. And I did no baseball activities. I don't think I picked up a baseball the entire time I was there besides the tryouts. I just lifted three days a week, religiously. I don't think I missed a single day. Yeah, wow. So um, did you play at all in the summer? How did Buffalo come in contact with you? How did they see you play? Okay, so um, a lot of your listeners probably don't know that um, Legion baseball is a thing, but (laughs) I guess when when we were in high school, Legion baseball was a very legitimate avenue for your summer baseball. I mean, it was played with wooden bats. Um, a lot of the best players played at Legion Baseball Leagues. Now it's obviously dominated by uh, travel baseball and select and pay-for-play stuff. But uh, I had one more year of eligibility left because I was always extremely young for my grade. So I was still 18 after my first year of college, and that gave me eligibility to play Legion Baseball that summer. So I said, why not? You know, I'm going to have one last hurrah with baseball. I'm going to have some fun. It'll be my last time ever. And I played. And uh, interestingly enough, all of a sudden I was like leaps and bounds better than I had been, even though I hadn't picked up a baseball in, let's say, eight months. Like I um, I think the, the highest I ever topped out at was maybe 83 in high school off the mound. I was throwing 86 somehow off the mound. Um <laughs> hadn't pitched or thrown in eight months. Uh, I hit two home runs my senior year of high school with a metal bat, and uh, they were, like, pitifully weak, like, barely over the fence, both of them. And that summer in Legion Ball with a wood bat on, you know, high school size, you know, big fields, maybe 380 to center, which would be big for a high schooler. Um, I think I hit somewhere between 10 and 15 home runs with wood bat, in I think 16 games it was like an explosion I you know and half of them were the opposite field I didn't know what was going on (laughs) I hadn't I hadn't hit the whole year also so the only thing in my mind that made sense was that it was because I had trained and gotten stronger and by happen by happenstance and luckily enough one of the or the uh, volunteer assistant coach for the University of Buffalo happened to be helping out on that Legion team because his older brother was the head coach of the Legion team. So he called the head coach at Buffalo who told the recruiting coordinator, uh, Jim Kerner, who's now the head coach at North Carolina Central University to go out and check this kid out. And he came out and they like basically told me on the spot, we want you to come to Buffalo. Wow. Yep. And, you, and you thought it was going to be your last two raw, huh? I did. I thought this, you know, it'd be nice. Fun way to spend my summer, basically. So let's let's fast forward to Buffalo. Um, it, I, I want to like preface this. I don't think people like. 
I've been posting about your account on uh-huh. social media. I don't think people know how intelligent you are. Um, and, you know, I can't wait for you to post more and, you know, educate me as well. But, you know, you're very, very um, uh, smart as it in in, um, in regards to training, hitting everything else. But we're just going to talk about training for now. But um, at Buffalo, you know, what happened there? Like, how did you um, take your game to the next level, I guess? Okay, well, uh, first off, I think I was really lucky. The class that I came in with, I just happened to be probably Buffalo's strongest class in history. I would imagine we were the strongest class in the history of the program. Um, and I connected immediately and, you know, became friends with a core group of players that turned out to be the right players to become friends with in terms of uh, pushing me and training together and practicing and beating at our craft. Um, uh, Maybe some of your listeners know who Tom Murphy is. He's a professional player with the Rockies right now. He's been in the big leagues multiple times. He'll probably be back there again really soon because he's absolutely obliterating AAA again. Um, Me and him became best friends almost immediately and also inseparable training partners. And when I say training partners, I don't just mean in the weight room. I mean literally everything to do with baseball we were there. We were, you know, first ones in the weight room, last one to leave, and also first ones to practice and last ones to leave. Um, other guys, uh, Matt Pollock, who I think got robbed of a Mid-American Conference Player of the Year his junior year, one of the best hitters in our conference that year, um, Alex Baldock, Ryan Tullick, basically a core group of people and players that we just gelled and clicked, and because of that, we... I think all of us benefited together and we all grew together. Um, and we got better every year by leaps and bounds. Yeah. That's, that's awesome, man. And you, you, uh, you actually told me too, you, you had the luxury of having some of the best in the game too, uh, in terms of strength and conditioning coach. You want to talk a little bit about them? Oh yeah. Buffalo? Um, I, I didn't really realize this at the time, but, the more I learned and became obsessed with all of this, the the more I could look back and say, holy shit, like uh, these people that for whatever reason, they decided to be strength coaches at University of Buffalo. This is like the real deal. They are some of the best top names in the industry. For example, um, Paul Childress was the first strength coach I ever had. And he, I didn't realize this when I was there, but I learned it shortly after. He was, I think the WPO uh, record holder for the squat. I think he squatted 1,200 pounds. Oh, crap. Um, yeah. Um, I had Nate Harvey for, I want to say, two years there. Yeah, two years. Uh, he was fantastic. Great strength coach. He really understood how to um, cultivate uh, an environment and a culture in the weight room uh, and help us work and show us how to work. He would always train either before or after our sessions, and we kind of got to watch him and be led from the front, so to speak. Uh, there was also, I know Julia Leduski, who's big in the powerlifting world. Um, she was a strength coach at Buffalo the year before I got there. Uh, also, somehow, Buddy Morris, who is, anyone who knows strength and conditioning in that world knows who Buddy Morris is. He's one of the most famous strength and conditioning coaches on the planet. I think he's with the Arizona Cardinals right now as their head yep. strength and conditioning uh, coach. And uh, he coached us for a semester during a transition period. I think there was a head football coach, um, a new one being hired, and he brought Buddy Morris in. And then, obviously, the NFL stole Buddy Morris back. Um, So, yeah, I I was surrounded by a ton of crazy high-level strength and conditioning coaches. And then um, I also got to train at DeFranco's gym in Wyckoff, New Jersey, during one of my summer ball, summer baseball summers, which was another enormous boon. Uh, I was trained by Jeff Carr, uh, Mike Wadango, who owns Freak Strength, and obviously Joe DeFranco, who is, again, world famous and world renowned. Literally, like, some of the best <laughs> strength and conditioning coaches in the, in the freaking world. Yeah, in my, I don't know in my how, opinion. Yeah, I don't know how that all happened, but, like, I was exposed <laughs> to a lot of it really quickly and it also just so happened to line up with what I was obsessed with uh, at the time and currently which is you know kind of improving your game through
through multiple avenues, and, the, and that big avenue would be physical preparation. So you mentioned uh, Joe DeFranco a little bit. So for me, uh, the only reason I improved my speed, and I've talked about it multiple times, was from Joe DeFranco, like watching mm-hmm. his videos online, um, seeing his athletes pull sleds, learning about, like, why sled drags are important, how they improve acceleration mechanics, all his, you know, multiple, you know, sprint start variations. I never saw that before until I started watching yep. his videos when I was a junior in college. You mentioned him a little bit. So my question is, like, I think we talked about it a little bit, but, you know, how, how did he improve your speed? What was your speed before you went to Joe D? And, you know, how, I guess, talk a little bit about that, like some of his training methods that helped you. Okay, so I, I guess I'm going to preface this with, um, so just so your listeners kind of have an idea. Um, when I got to Buffalo, I ran uh, 60-yard dash. I ran a 7-2 60-yard dash. I ran a 60-yard dash that was, I guess, so slow that on the scout days, the scouts did not ask me to run again, like nothing. <laughs> other other guys, yes. Me, no. Um, and I went to DeFranco's gym, and that following year after DeFranco's gym, I ran a 6.6 for the scouts, which is a, a huge jump. No, no, a 6.5. I'm sorry. A 6.5. So that was the first major jump. And then um, – thereafter after using DeFranco's training methods and also obviously influenced from Nate Harvey and my own um, research and, and um, methods, I eventually got that down to a 6-2 for the scouts, which I think is probably what propelled me into the professional um, ranks in terms of exposure. I mean, one, if you run a 6-2 for scouts, they, you kind of force them to take notice. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, to get back to your question about DeFranco's, the things that we did a ton of were and the things I believe helped me was number one, the warm up was ridiculously extensive. I'm talking the first time I got there, it took me, I think 45 minutes, possibly an hour. And I, I would be lying if I say I was, I wasn't miserable after it. I was destroyed from just the warm up. <laughs> uh, the warm up had a ton of like, very dynamic uh, running drills, skipping drills, um, lots of hip mobility, tons of hip mobility, more than I'd ever done. Um, all the different kind of line warm-up drills you could think of in various amounts, and most of them were super high intensity. You were supposed to go as fast as you could. Um, we did a lot of lightly weighted jumps with almost full recovery. So I think um, like maybe 10 pounds in your hands, uh, 10 pound dumbbell uh, jump squats and split squat jumps. Uh, We did an incredible amount of heavy sled drags. And I think your listeners would know if they know your training methods, heavy sled drags, that's not like two plates. I I remember there was times (laughs) where I had to do lateral sled drags with like, it had to be three or four plates each prowler post. So that would be eight total plates. I had to do them for like five yards. I just had to get the prowler to move five yards laterally, dragging it on a strap with one hand. Um, and so I would have to clean up for that. It was just anything, anything it took. And then finally, let's see, we did a lot of, well, we did tread sled quite a bit. Yeah. Um, a little bit of incomplete recovery tread sled work for maybe six seconds at a time. And we did obviously full maximum speed, maximum effort, full recovery sprints from various starting positions. And one one question I want to ask you quick. Did you do a lot of, um, because I know um, Cameron, who is the director of um, performance now for Joe D., uh, talked about a lot now, but did you do a lot of heavy uh, sled sprints when you were there? I never asked you this. Heavy sled sprints. You know, uh, I don't remember, I don't remember doing heavy sled sprints. If I'm thinking correctly, like a hundred percent body weight, is that what you're asking? Yeah. Like 69 to 91%, like not, yeah. not super light. No, never did that. But I would say I did something pretty much equivalent to that on the tread sled because the resistance would be up to the point where if I had to guess, 
how difficult the tread sled resistance was. And considering I was strapped up on a belt uh, on a post behind me, that it was probably sprints in that range, like between 50 and 100% of my body weight in resistance. Got it. Yeah. Like, it's, I'm, I know, like, all, I never, I never warmed up for 45 minutes that long. Um, but I remember when we were first, and we'll get into the speed program first. I don't want to uh, go too far into it, but a lot of the same things you just talked about are in our speed program. That's what, that's what makes yeah. it, um, so great. I think the six stages of speed is literally four, four or five stages are, are the warm up, but we don't even want to call them the warm up. It's, we'll yeah. get into it, but, exactly. um, that's, uh, that's awesome, man. Uh, Cause a lot yeah, of the same. Oh, God. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, by by the end of the summer, honestly, by like two weeks into it, the warm-up was not taking me 45 minutes anymore. It was taking me like 20 minutes, which is yeah. totally reasonable and probably also had a huge part to play in how much uh, progress I made because that meant my GPP was through the roof, which meant I could recover from everything else much better. Yeah. And that was something that, again, like once I realized all of, or kind of, you know, saw all Joe DeFranco's training methods. And, you know, when I imp- uh, implemented that in my own training too, that was something that really, really helped me. I feel like I never really did mobility-based stuff before. I was always somebody that was super stiff. And that that was something that really helped me, um, just, mm-hmm. uh, extended warm-up and all that kind of stuff. But um, so really quick, I, I know you talked about it a little bit, but you went from a 7.2 to a 6.5, we need more details, man. Like what, what specifically, <laughs> like, are, are you like the skips, the, the sledge, like what was the biggest thing for you? The biggest couple exercises that worked the best for you? Huh? I'm going to, to say pick. if I had to pick, it yeah. would have been for that first big jump from being, I would say slow to being pretty fast. Um, the, the biggest exercise for me would have been the extremely heavy sled drags. Yeah. Um, because I think that taught me how to run with better starting mechanics, like acceleratory mechanics. And it also taught me, it forced me to learn how to apply the force that I probably could have already produced in the right direction. So I was always naturally fast as a kid, mm-hmm. but it was always top end speed. Like, uh, yeah. when I played, when I played soccer as, uh, an early high schooler, as long as I had like a open breakaway sprint, no one could beat me. No one could catch me. But I remember always trying to race my football friends. They destroyed me off the line. So if I had to guess and look back, I didn't, I had no idea how to apply force into the ground the, the appropriate way to project myself forward or horizontally. But I always had a, a lot of um, reactivity and vertical force production so that once I got to top speed, I was very fast. So the heavy sleds, uh, drags, they weren't sprints. They were like, they were, you know, I was slogging it. Yeah, very (laughs) slow. But those taught me how to, how and where the force should go. So I think those are probably the most important for my first gigantic jump in speed. And then I did have another big jump in speed, but I, I feel like that was a confluence of a lot of different things. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree 100%. Like when... It's funny you're talking about the heavy sled drags. Once I realized that was an exercise for a training technique, I didn't even know. But once I did it, and you know, I start, I was li- literally my 10 yard dash. I would like laser time my 10 yard dash. I'd have somebody do it every. It was every couple weeks, but my my time would go down by like a tenth or two, like every week for like absolutely five straight yep. weeks. And I was like, holy shit! Like I'm doing these every week. Like I yep. literally kept doing. I mean, it's. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Um, yep. That's where I but, think a um, lot of kids, a lot of kids don't understand that, um, because they're told by their coaches or trainers or everyone really. I mean, I hear it from parents all the time is that you're born with speed or speed is, uh, um, yeah. speed can't be taught. That's such bullshit. Just by learning how to apply force in the right directions and the right ways, you'll get faster. Yeah. A lot of kids don't know how to sprint. They know how to run. Exactly. Sprinting is a you know very technical, and once you learn at least the baseline technique, your times are going to go down, and you're going to be faster. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you see this from your high school athletes, but something I've noticed over the past few years, all the high school athletes are really, really well. Not, I mean, most of them are top end speed fast. They're not. They all of them lack 
um, ex- good acceleration mechanics, in my opinion. I don't know if that's something you saw with your with your athletes. Yeah, yeah I yeah. see that as well. And I also think that that really spills over into how they are coached in terms of their base running and base stealing. They're almost not allowed to steal because, and I'll be honest, they're they're not great base stealers because they have terrible starting technique because they don't know how to accelerate. So I think that's like an untapped thing. If your listeners want to get the green light from their coaches, then they got to start learning how to apply force earlier in their sprints. Because I have seen so many high school kids that are ridiculously fast. You know, if I laser timed their flying 10, they'd be Mm -hmm. very fast. They'd be comparable to uh, high school track athletes, but they have shitty starting techniques and uh, they're maybe a little bit weak. So their force production in the beginning is, not the best. And so in baseball, you're not going to be a good base dealer until you can do that as well. Well, when you think about like thinking about sprinting or yes, yeah, sprinting in a straight line or stealing a base, you have to, I feel like you have to be able to, you have to be really strong to sprint fast because I mean, you're essentially overcoming inertia, correct? When you're starting to sprint. Yeah. I, well, I think you have to be incredibly strong to overcome your inertia so in in terms of baseball because most everything happens in such a confined area like you're never going to run a 60 yard dash in a baseball game it'll never happen maybe the most elite outfielder in center field might have to run 60 yards to the right center or left center wall if they're playing shallow and even then like i don't think i've ever seen that that's a huge distance 180 feet that's crazy but yeah you have to be really strong to overcome your inertia to get going. That doesn't necessarily mean you're fast, but it means you can get going faster. And that's what's important in field sports. Now, obviously, there's crazy benefits to being fast as well that, that are not just running related or sprinting related. You know, when you're fast, your nervous system works better and it affects everything else in baseball because baseball is a fast power sport. Yeah, couldn't have said it better. Um, so let's get into the program. Uh, I guess okay. let's break, let's break down six stages of speed. Uh, I guess I'll have you start by, you know, talking a little bit about it. We talked, we, you briefly went over the skips and how important they were. Honestly, for me, I wasn't somebody that did a lot of skips because, um, <laughs> quite frankly, I didn't know the benefit really the, I, I just thought they were skips. I didn't think there was, um, <laughs> the, major, the major benefits or, you know what I mean? I, I felt really – the first time Jason, like, uh, showed me some skip variations and um, told me to try it, and I did it, and I, I was – I got – I don't know how to describe it, but I felt so good sprinting um, that I, I know why you put him in the program. So why don't you a little uh, talk about, I guess, the, the first couple stages of six stages of speed um, with the skips and everything else. Okay, so the uh, the first – I would say the first three stages – are all of it is um, maybe I would describe it as one gigantic rehearsal for sprinting, for full speed sprinting. Um, Imagine for your listeners, the first time you guys learned how to write your letters, like ABCs. Um, You were probably in elementary school or preschool and you had like those big lines with the dotted line in the middle and you were literally like rehearsing over and over. You might've wrote the letter A a hundred times on one piece of paper over and over, and then until eventually it becomes muscle memory. The same needs to be done for sprinting. Because of how technical a truly great sprint is, you have to practice that technique. And there's really nothing else. I don't see it a lot in dynamic warm-ups, like general warm-ups that um, teams do or that athletes do, and especially not in the weight room. You really have to have these uh, skipping drills, these bounding drills, and all these various things to rehearse the, the, uh, the positions, the posture, and the rhythm of sprinting. So yeah. it, that's why it's so important. Yeah, and I, I don't think we can stress it enough. That's the, and the truth is, that's kind of why we call this six stages of speed. Um, to, to not even, it's not even a warm-up. It's, like Jason said, it goes into, you know, building your sprint. You're really not going to, and get really faster from, well, I mean, you're going to get faster from the sprint start variations, but, you know, all the technical work and uh, what Jason was, was talking about, the rhythm and all that, all the skips we're doing, like that all is what's going to, 
you know, make you guys faster. That makes sense if I'm correct. Yeah, exactly. Um, we, we were originally going to call the first three stages the extended warm-up, and uh, we both realized that if we called it the extended warm-up, it probably wouldn't be taken seriously. And you know what? There's some merit to that. It's, it's not sexy. It doesn't sound fun. And honestly, it does, it does all of it a disservice. It's, it is more appropriate to call each stage a stage because they, all the stages are equally important. You must do them all, and you must do them fully and completely. So we figured if we called them stages, you guys would be more likely to actually take them seriously instead of just calling it an extended warm-up. Because I know the first thing that goes out the door with any trainee when they're on their own is the warm-up. And the second thing that goes out the door is the conditioning. So by laying it all out, not even calling it a warm-up, and then giving you guys specific rest periods and intervals, uh, we're going to kind of cover those bases, so to speak. Yeah, so if you guys are doing this program right now, again, we can't, we can't say it enough. The, the uh, first couple stages of six stages of speed are super, super important. So do not, do not blow off that. Don't think it's just, you know, yep. um, eye wash stuff, warm-up stuff. It's, it's really important. Um, you you know what? I would Go honestly ahead. say that the first three stages are more important than the last three stages, if, yeah. if you could fathom that. I, honestly, stage, um, stage two and three, I, they're like, if you don't do those, I don't think you'll get faster. But if you do only those, you will get at least a little bit faster. They're very important. Yeah, and, I, now, and that, do, do the whole thing, and you'll be awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I can't wait to see everybody's results. I think everybody's going to get so much faster. I wish. I mean, I wish. And I know you can. I can speak for you for this. I mean, I wish I had something like this in in high school. This would be unbelievable. Yep. So I really Me hope too. you guys take advantage of this. Really do. Um, mm-hmm. But I re- we released the program yesterday. Got a ton of downloads from it, which I'm pumped about. I think um, we're at a thousand right now as a, as of really? this recording. Yeah, I believe we're at a thousand. We haven't even. We had it just out there for barely 24 hours. It's awesome. Yeah, it's been like That's 30 awesome. hours, I think. So if you, again, if you guys haven't downloaded it, go download it, please, if you want to get faster. Anyway, um, I had some questions because we released the program uh, like about 24 hours ago, like I said, and um, they were all kind of the same questions, so I kind of figured why not address them all here um, okay. on the podcast. Uh, the first question, and this was asked the most, was, the building sprints and flying sprints. Uh, do you mm-hmm. want to talk a little bit about those? Um, okay. What's the difference, I guess. So a, a build-up sprint, it'll maybe it'll give you a percentage. Let's say it says build-up 100% to make it easy, and then it says 40 yards. So you have a 40-yard build-up sprint at 100%. What that means is that you are going to attempt to gradually build your speed to 100% or your maximum speed as you get to 40 yards. So between zero yards and 40 yards, you are continuously building your speed. And then once you hit the 40-yard mark, you should have achieved the 100% speed. Um, So if it said 80%, then you would just build up over that distance to 80% of your max speed. So it is ramping up your speed. You're not trying – you're not basically – you're not like crashing out of the gates as fast as you can off the starting line. You are gradually building over that distance to the specified uh, speed that we give. And then a flying sprint would be you use a flying sprint. You'll always see two different yardages. You'll see the first yardage or distance, which is you take that yardage and you try to build up as much speed as possible in it. So if we say 20 yards for the first, you might see 20 plus 20 yards. So that would mean the first 20 yards, you get going as fast as you possibly can. And then once you hit 20 yards, you kind of take your foot off the gas and you just try to maintain that speed as long as you can. And that's called a flying sprint. So you use the first yardage or distance to build up, and then the second leg is you trying to maintain that speed, which sounds easy, but it's actually really difficult. The, the most important part of a flying sprint is not the buildup. It's the maintenance. It's, you will, you'll notice when you do that that it's very difficult to maintain a speed 
especially a very high speed, over even 20-yard distance. Uh, so that's the point of the flying sprints. Great. I think you answered that perfectly. Uh, the next question was about uh, someone asked if you can perform this speed program in addition to your other training program. And, I mean, <laughs> I'll get your answer. I My answer is yes. Uh, I, I feel – I think it depends, I guess, how many days or what your strength level is, all that kind of stuff. But I, I mm-hmm. guess generally, um, I don't know what you would say, but I would say probably if you're doing like upper lower splits, say, I would do this before your lower body lifting. Uh, I think you can. I don't think it – I think you're – in my opinion, I think you can because I've been doing this program the last couple of weeks in my own training. I feel that you can do this warm-up and uh, the speed work before lower body lifting day um, without a problem. Well, it works for me anyway. And then, um, you know, if you're on a, you know, full body split too as well, um, I think you can do it before you're, you know, lift, uh, lifting. I think the biggest thing, just get your speed work in before you're, you're lifting, of course. And what do, what, do, what do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. I think this, this program can be done with, uh, with your own whole body lifting or even split lifting. Uh, yeah, if you're on a split, do the, do the speed work, the, all six stages. Uh, don't do the last stage. Save stage six, the cool down for after your lift. Oh, but yeah, do yep. do the all the extended um, warm up and technique and skipping and uh, nervous system excitation and then the actual speed work before your lower body days. Um, if you're the kind of person that maybe doesn't have a very high uh, capacity to recover from very nervous system intensive stuff, you can maybe split your speed work and your lower body training by like an hour or two just to give yourself a little bit of a reprieve. Uh, But for the most part, you should be able to do one right, like you should be able to do them back to back. And honestly, you should adjust your lower body lifting to the energy you have left after the speed work if your goal is to get faster. If you're on a full body split, um, just make sure that you're doing your speed work before your training sessions. Make sure your training sessions are at uh, are 48 hours apart or more. And so I would, if you go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I would do the speed work Monday and Friday so that you give yourself a full weekend of no lifting and no running to recover for the next one. Great point. And then um, what do you oh, think sorry. about... Oh, also, I was going to say, also, you can probably do the first three stages on your off days as well. If you feel like your technique is not good or you just want to kind of speed along the learning process, I, I think you can use the first three stages um, on non-lifting days, kind of as uh, active recovery or, a, you know, a heart rate thing, maybe even very light conditioning. I know after you did the warm-up a couple times, you told me you just felt better. So I yeah. think you could do that as well. That's a great point. Yeah, I, I think – that would be great. I mean, if, if like just thinking back to me when I played, if I'm somebody that really, you know, drastically needed to improve my speed in a short amount of time, that's definitely, guys, that's definitely yeah. some something I would do on my off days. I mean, if you I'll can tell, do, go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. I'll tell your listeners this is um, the the huge warm up I did at DeFranco's, which a lot of this stuff uh, in the six stages of speed is inspired by and even borrowed from. Um, a lot of that warm up, I'd say. 80% of that warm-up, basically everything done on my feet that I didn't need equipment for, I used to do that warm-up every single day before games as my pregame warm-up during college summer ball. So if that gives your audience any idea, like you can do this at least the first stages every day as a warm-up, and, and you won't uh, tire yourself out or your recovery won't be um, hindered. Yeah, I think especially if they're doing it over and over again. I think after the first week of me performing it every day in my workouts, it kind of got, um, you know, the first couple of days are intense because you're not used to all the, um, all those exercises. But you know, at, as you get done with the fir- uh, first week or so, I feel like you're, you're, you're more obviously conditioned and um, mm-hmm. it, it's a little easier. It's not as taxing, I guess, or um, tiring, yeah. whatever you want to call it. But um, all right, so final question I got was in season. Uh, can you do this pro, uh, this speed program if you're in season? Obviously, we just talked about you can do the um, first couple stages uh, before a game. Obviously, like we said, they're really important and they be, would be really beneficial to do probably before a game. 
Um, but what do you think about in terms of like games? Okay, to- so for the high school athlete, which I think a lot of your listeners are high school athletes, yep. um, I think you can do this program in season. <clears throat> and I don't, I'm sometimes I'm back and forth on what in season is, especially for younger kids. Like, is summer ball that's starting right now in season? Maybe. Um, I think you guys, you high school athletes, high school baseball players, don't actually play enough games for it to really matter. So, yeah, you can definitely do this program in season. You would want to, let's see. Well, you don't play a lot. Honestly, I think you could do the whole thing before a game. Like, just make sure it's well before a game. Uh, It's not going to impact your performance in the game that much or any. Um, and in summer ball at the high school level, you guys do like travel or I'm sorry, you do, um, what's it called? I got, yeah, travel ball. So most of the summer baseball is like weekend tournaments. So if you didn't want to do it before games, I would suggest if your tournament is, let's say Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which is a standard format, you could do the speed program on, uh, Tuesday. Uh, Monday and Wednesday. That would be fine. Or even Tuesday, Thursday. Depends on how heavy your travel schedule is. If you are in season, like in the high school season, which just ended or is ending right now, um, yeah, you can definitely do it. You only play maybe at most two games a week. It's kind of a, a joke in terms of playing volume. You can schedule it the days after your games. That would be my my recommendation. Um, yeah, I think that's great. What, yeah. Let me ask you this. What about the uh, college kids play every day? There are some <laughs> college kids that listen. Um, I, I don't know. I know, you know, they're sprinting every day at practice, all that kind of stuff. My whole thing, I'm, I'm thinking about this. It might be a good idea. I don't know. I just thought of this on the spot here. But what if they just cut the volume of the sprints in half? Um, what do you think about that? Or do you think that would be too much still, two days a week before games? Uh. I would say college kids, if they're in their actual college season, it's yeah. probably going to be too much to the yeah. full program. But what you could do is what I would, what I did was, um, you could use this warm up as your pre-practice warm up or pre-game warm up. I mean, I know there's like team warm ups that everyone kind of has, but then there's also that huge downtime between um, when you're done, like with your pregame activities and when the game actually starts. And most guys go to the left or right field line and like they get their starts in or whatever, that's when I would do the first three stages, which won't take you long once you know how to do them. Uh, or even just to cut the volume in half, like you said, just get them in somehow. In terms of the sprints, if you're in season, you can either cut the volume drastically down or you can just think about it as your speed work must occur somewhere else if your goal is to get faster. So maybe it's, Me as an outfielder, as a center fielder, I would take my reps during on-field batting practice live. So instead of trying to catch every single ball, I would tell myself, this rep, I'm going full speed, I'm catching the ball. And then I'm going to rest until I feel good enough to do that again. And so that's one way to get your sprint volume in. If you're an infielder, um, I don't know, you might just have to grab, grab some sprints before or after practice. Um, and then honestly, just listen to your body. If you feel run down, don't add on the speed work, the game and the results and, you know, your, your performance is most important, I would assume to you guys in season. So make sure you take care of that before you add stuff to try to improve your physicality and your speed. And then the pro guys, if there's any pro guys listening, don't do this speed program during the season. (laughs) I mean, you're, you're going to play 140 plus games a year. Don't even think about it. You're going to get burned out really fast. You can use the first two or three stages as obviously a a warm-up, but don't try to add sprinting volume. You are going to burn out. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, I don't think people – I don't think kids understand uh, how high school and college, how taxing sprinting is on the nervous system when done at maximal intensity. Uh, I agree. You have to – 
definitely have to either cut the volume in half or just shut it down and just do the couple the first couple stages like Jason um said. Yep. But um okay, now finishing up with the speed stuff, putting you on the spot here. Um I'm always, you know, I've I've made tons of posts on my top uh top exercises for acceleration, top speed exercises, top exercises for the 6-yard dash. So I want to know what are Jason Kanzler's top 10 drills for improving Whoa, sprinting speed? <laughs> no, uh, we'll, go, uh, we'll, go, we'll go top five, sorry. Top five. Okay, top, top five. five. Let's go see. five, countdown five to one. Oh, boy. Five, let's go, let's go um, heavy, heavy, heavy sled drag, mm-hmm. forward sled drag. Um, four would actually be a safety bar or a straight bar lateral box step up with a high knee. Really? Yep. Okay. Uh, Why is that? I'm curious. That is because, um, a lot of, a lot of when you're trying to get really fast, uh, there's something called lateral stiffness that you need to maintain. So that's like, you don't want your hips to be shifting side to side as you're sprinting, you want um, kind of as straight of a line as possible on your grounded leg, every foot strike and a lateral box step up with the safety bar, which puts the center of mass even higher on your body uh, with a high knee to finish it really demands that you learn how to support your whole body on one leg in a high knee position with a little bit of lateral forces because you're stepping laterally onto a box. So it's great. It's just a good catch-all exercise yeah. for, I guess, cleaning up the last 5% of lateral stiffness that people might be lacking. I'm like, I'm, not, I'm sorry if I'm talking like way, like too technical, but there you go. I, love, I, love, I love speed and sprinting. Yeah, so what I want you to do is can you – is there any way you can get a, a video of that so we can – post that somewhere so people can see kind of what you're talking about or yeah i will i will try to find um some videos explaining lateral stiffness and maybe even some like side-by-side pictures of like good and bad yeah um, i love the pelvic see. yeah I'll, I'll get some of that up for you guys let's see number three would be huh how about number three would be hill sprints yeah or some other sort of um light resisted sprinting so that hill sprints uh would also falls under that category could be maybe 20 to 30 percent body weight sled sprints or even lower like 10 percent body weight something that has a little bit of resistance so that you are forced into an acceleration mechanics posture the entire time uh number two would be oh damn what about some uh, sprint start variations, like some speed drills, and skips? Uh, yeah, I was, no I, was skips. Thinking of a, I was thinking of a skip for number two. Uh, yeah. I th- actually, you know what? Not a skip. Running high knees would be my, yeah. my number two. Yeah. yeah, running high knees. And the reason I choose running high knees is because if you do it correctly, you're rehearsing. You're like you're covering so much ground in terms of what's important. If you do it correctly, which is you maintain very tall posture with tall, uh, straight leg, and really good ankle stiffness. You maintain foot dorsiflexion, which is your foot is pulled up towards your shin for both feet. Um, you're pumping your arms and legs. You're basically doing the running high knee at a really fast tempo. And you're trying to get as many of them in as possible during your distance instead of trying to just get to the finish line. You're covering a ton of stuff. You're getting maybe 20 to 40 ground contacts of very high quality and very good transferability in every time you do one of those. Um, I think I would also put it as probably the number two exercise because when you get good at running high knees, you learn that it is your arms. You learn the importance of your arm drive. You can't do a good running high knee if you have weak passive arm drive. It kind of forces you, or at least you might have a light bulb moment while you're doing them like, oh man, I just started pumping my arms and kind of focusing on uh, moving my arms from my shoulders. And all of a sudden, my feet are moving faster. My knees are getting up higher. I'm able to maintain good core stiffness better. So I would put that running high knees, number two. 
That's a really good one. And in our program, six days. It is. Feet. Oh yeah. There you go. And then the top most important speed drill would be, I guess this is really, for me it's obvious, would be literally sprinting full speed with complete recovery. Um, preferably as a competition, either against someone else or what, what I used, uh, and I consider this competition, was a lot of my speed work when I was playing came from me chasing down fly balls in the outfield. So in that case, the competition is against an external motivator, like making sure the ball doesn't land on the grass, making sure it doesn't drop. So full speed, maximum effort sprint work with full or damn near close to full recovery, which I don't think – I really don't know many kids that do that. Like, I see a lot of kids do sprints, especially after practice. I kind of, you know, just shut my mouth and cringe as I watch it. (laughs) And it it basically turns into wind sprints or just, like, really bad, like, 80% because they're really tired – and then I see a lot of coaches give quote-unquote sprints, and those aren't sprints. Those are just wind sprints, punishment sprints, and they're not sprints. You ask any track coach, those aren't sprints. Those are shitty, tired, slogging running that make you want to puke. Like I've seen 400-meter uh, repeats. I've seen like eight of them in a row with like two minutes rest in between. That's absolutely ridiculous those aren't sprints and you're probably practicing running slow and tired you need to practice running fast full speed yeah so for any uh high school college coaches listening that make their kids run long distances or run um just run with incomplete recovery please you're you're honestly making your kids worse stop doing that you're wrong I, i mean you need to you need to reevaluate everything you are wrong if you're if the goal is to have fast players you need to do what fast athletes do when they train. So you have to look at 100-meter dash athletes. They don't do repeat sprints of 400 meters. Please stop it. My message directly to coaches. Stop. <laughs> especially especially baseball players, man. I mean, they don't have to. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a joke. There, there, there are games where you might not sprint more than 30 yards in one single bout. Yeah. And that might be only one time the whole game. Like, come on. <laughs> All practicing for those uh, three inside-the-park home runs in a row that they're going to hit, right? All yeah. In one, I, all in one at bat. Exactly. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to – I guess this is talking talking trash, but the, the Twins used to make us do it three times around the bases as fast as we could. And that, that was like – that was the assessment of speed, which I never understood because that's that's so far out of the speed range. Once you're past, like, eight seconds of maximal sprinting, or even really six, you are not in the speed realm anymore. You're in speed endurance, and then you're really into anaerobic, like lactic endurance, which is never happens in a real baseball game ever. So, quick, quick little thing. Last, uh, last thing with the speed. How much do you? So, for me, I have a love-hate relationship with the six-yard dash. I think there's a lot better things we can do nowadays to test, um, you know, players in terms of sprinting speed or game speed. Um, what's your feeling on it? Because what I think is, for me, it's a test. And, you know, I, I coach athletes to be the best they can at the test because I have to do it, especially the high school yep. kids. And for me, it really helped me uh, get in the doors of scouts and you as well. But at the same time, what's your feeling on that? Do you think we should get rid of the six-yard dash? Entirely? Great question. Great question. Actually, I was, um, I'm was i heading to the Cape here in three weeks to coach again. And actually, one of the things – it's crazy you mentioned this. One of the things – I was planning on doing was because there's endless amounts of professional scouts in the Cape. I was actually planning on interviewing them with their thoughts on the 60 yard dash. Cause I want to know why it's still used. Oh, that'd be but, great. Yeah. My own opinion is that I don't think the 60 yard dash is a, a transferable test for a baseball player's on field performance. However, I think the 60 yard dash can tell an evaluator a great deal about the potential of the athlete because I don't think you can run a great 60-yard dash if you are not a freakish athlete. And a lot of the qualities that you want 
in a baseball player, especially a hitter, but really pitchers also, you want very quick twi- quick twitch. You want extremely good nervous system efficiency. Um, those things, you must have those to run a good 60-yard dash. So if I'm a talent evaluator, a good 60-yard dash tells me, wow, we have amazing raw material. Now it's up to our player development guys to turn that raw material into a great baseball player. But if I'm using the 60-yard dash to tell me who is and who is not a great baseball player, that's uh, ridiculous. So I guess that's what, what I have to say is it is not a great test to evaluate baseball talent. It is a phenomenal test to evaluate total athletic ability as it pertains to the, qual- the physical qualities you want in a baseball player. You're basically asking people to run the 60-meter indoor dash, which I would argue the greatest athletes on the face of the planet are 60-meter indoor dash athletes. So that's the standard you're judging baseball players by, which is a great standard if you want athletic, raw prowess. Those are some great points, man. And it's funny because, like, I'll always ask, it's on one of my questionnaires that the kids um, all fill out, or the pro guys, college guys, whatever, all fill out when they come in for an assessment, is I always ask them what their six-yard dash is regardless. And yeah. always the guys that throw the hardest or the most athletic in terms of pitchers, they all run sub, uh, sub-760s. sub I mean, there was a kid that I trained that was um, probably 250, I feel like, this, two, like 240, 250, um, over six foot five and he ran he ran a like a six eight six yard dash so it's just like um yeah that's that's funny you say that in terms of yeah like, I, I believe that the um i would say 95 percent of your guys that throw in the upper echelons especially high school and college guys pros you're going to have like very genetically freakish yeah um like you know they have the perfect combination of joint laxity and uh, leverages and they might be able to get they might be able to throw a hundred and run a seven five but for the most part like far and away the fastest most explosive athletes also have the best bat speed can throw the hardest can uh, steal bases the best um, have the greatest reaction times so yeah there's there's definitely like very strong correlation and I would argue there is there's grounds to cause it, to call it causation, meaning if you get faster, your other stuff can probably benefit and will probably improve. Yeah. And I, again, I don't want to make this podcast longer than it is. I can keep going. I can keep talking speed with you forever, but that's yep, another, so thing too, that, that's another thing that really bothers me um, a lot with players or pitchers is they don't sprint. And that's something that I have my pitchers sprint at least, you know, twice a week um, for the most part, one to two times a week, depending on the season. Um, just because I think you're going to get a lot stronger from sprinting because it's, like I said, the most demanding on the nervous system, one of the most demanding movements. So um, I don't know what, what's your opinion on that in terms of sprinting for pitchers. I think it's important. Completely agree. I am also staunchly against running poles or any kind of um, low-intensity steady-state cardio for for pitchers. The uh, The anecdotal euphemisms and science behind it, you know, like being able to go longer into games is absolutely – bunk and ridiculous it, it, yeah. none of it makes sense it's it always sounds like someone who has no clue about science learned a couple things and then like connected these dots that were so far apart and the result was oh if you want to have pitching endurance through a bunch of innings you need to somehow have you know running endurance <laughs> non <laughs> nonsensical doesn't make any sense from a physiological or science standpoint um and what's crazy is that this is out there now. Like, there are many high-profile uh, high baseball guys that have come out and said, like, stop running poles, do sprints, use full recovery. And I still, every day, hear baseball coaches, like, basically say, no, 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 I'm not listening. This is what we're doing. We're running poles. We're, like, ugh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I think a lot of coaches just don't want to – I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to say this, but I just don't think they realize the demands of certain movements. Or I, I don't. I don't think coaches understand that throwing a baseball off a mound is literally one of the most powerful movements, probably in sports. Um, well, it's the movement where your the the hand 
as it's moving through space, it's the quickest um, human movement on the planet. A pitcher's hand is going faster than any other um, limb or part of the human body in any other sport. There's nothing that comes close to the hand speed of a pitcher. It's ridiculously explosive and fast. So, so I don't understand why coaches think that training uh, via the slowest motions in all sports in terms of long-distance steady-state cardio would be beneficial. But um, I'll offer it's because coaches really have this fear and this uneasiness about letting their athletes recover or what they see it as stand around. And yeah. so they, they pick things that fill time. And so steady-state, um, low-intensity cardio, running poles, fills time. The athlete is constantly in motion. Whereas if they were to run sprints, that discomfort of like, oh, they ran a 10-yard sprint and now they got a rest of whole minute. Coaches, yeah. for whatever reason, don't like that. Maybe they're, you know, sadomasochists and they love, like, having their athletes suffer and, like, rest is just, <laughs> you know, rest is rust and this all, all that kind of yeah, ridiculous yeah. mentality. Uh, or they just don't know. Yeah, I think, I, you know, it's, it's funny because, like, I'll train kids for speed, you know, and the first time, and I'm sure you came into the, uh, across this as well, first time I'll train a kid for speed or do speed training with them, and I'm saying, all right, we need, you know, whatever it may be based on the distance, they need recovery, minutes or three minutes, whatever. And they're like, they're like, oh, you always take it easy on me, don't you? Like, you're giving me all this recovery. I'm like, no, I'm making you better. <laughs> like, that's how you, that's how you train for speed. I'm like, uh, killing you. Not a lot exactly. of coaches can make, not a lot of coaches can make athletes better. A lot of coaches can, can kill yeah. uh can kill any, the players. any coach any coach can kill an athlete but it yeah. it's it's a lot harder to make a guy better and usually the two don't go hand in hand they're polar opposites uh, let me uh let me leave your listeners with if if they've listened for this long i'm going to leave them with a little treat um <laughs> <laughs> when i was in college <laughs> i faked having pneumonia during uh, you just cut out, man. I don't know. I, I want to oh. make sure everybody hears this because it cut out on my uh, my end, so I want to make sure. So, so say it okay. again. Okay, so when I was in college, we would have Hell Week when we came back from uh, Christmas break, and <laughs> I, I faked pneumonia during Hell Week to get <laughs> out of all the ridiculous high-volume wind sprinting, and I, I have never liked anything like that. I think it was my body intuitively like telling me like, listen, this is not good for being fast. Or this is at least, this feels so bad. It can't possibly be good for you. Um, so <laughs> if you've listened this far, I, Jason Kanzler, faked pneumonia at college <laughs> to get out of conditioning. And you guys might want to think about doing the same. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. I love that. <laughs> All right, so let's finish up. Uh, I mean, we were talking a little bit about the youth athlete, athletes. I want to know, what do, you, what do you think the biggest mistake, um, we talked about the sprinting stuff, of course, what's the biggest mistake lots of you know, high school athletes are making in their training? I'm sorry, the, one. the biggest mistake with what? Uh, the biggest mistake that high, high school athletes or youth athletes are making in their training. Or, like, what, are their, what, what do you see the most, most of them uh, in, doing wrong? In the weight room, they're not prioritizing – getting stronger. Um, uh, I'm sorry, they're not prioritizing getting stronger relative to their body weight. So they don't, they don't, they don't prioritize strength to body weight ratio. They love to get the pump. They love to get their biceps, hit their chest. Um, they absolutely fear lower body. Um, so that's a huge mistake. And let's see, what else? They don't eat enough. High school guys do not eat enough. They don't recover. I'll say that. They don't recover. Terrible recovery habits. They don't sleep well. They're on their uh, electronics too much. They don't eat enough. They don't do anything that drives the gains, the potential gains from a good training session. So even if they had the perfect training session with a great trainer, um, they suck at actually uh, having it come to fruition because they don't take care of their bodies. And then with the running and the speed work, they, they for some reason, maybe it's like a learned behavior, they think they have to be killing themselves to get faster. Wrong. They should go watch a high-level track practice. Um, go to the local, go to the, your local university. Hopefully, they have open gym, and watch the track athletes, 100-meter dashers. Watch them train. You'll be amazed at how much rest they're given. All right. And then, with that being said, I guess this is the perfect intro. 
why don't you um I'll let you uh do the honors here. Once since you're a guest here on the show. Formally, I know we announced it in the beginning, and um, if you downloaded the speed program by now, you know that me and Jason are coming out with a 16-week high school baseball off-season training guide uh, slash training template, whatever you want to call it. We're pretty excited about it, so I want you, you know, Jason, talk, inter- introduce it, be the first one here. All right, so uh, we are coming out with a 16-week, basically young, high, young to, we'll say, a full high school training program for the off-season. Um, it is called Own the Off Season, and we are extremely excited about it. We've, I think we've put in maybe the past three months, we've put into making it as awesome and, you know, applicable as we possibly could, and we've used it with our own athletes to great success. Um, we think there's nothing like it on the market. It's just kind of like an awesome, very long blueprint plan that you guys can use right away in your off-seasons, and we know it'll help you get better and improve and help your performance on the baseball field. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really, really excited about it. Um, I know a lot of high school coaches are also going to benefit from this that, yep. you know, don't have uh, or, you know, let's be honest, like there's not a lot of high school coaches that, from what I've seen, know how to implement, you know, training methods or how to, you know, give their athletes anything to do in the off-season that's you know, proper. They just lack the basic understanding of certain things, and that's totally fine. So, you know, I think this is not only going to help the kids, but it's also going to help the coaches too. I mean, we also have, I think, a 200, 200 plus video index how to do every exercise, and yep. you know, I'm, I'm really excited about it. And you know, I can't. We're going to talk. We're definitely going to talk as the summer progresses here. Um, we're definitely going to talk more about it. But um, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm it's really excited. Very about exciting. That. Yeah, very exciting. Yeah. So that's what I want to leave everybody with. I think we. Went a little over in terms of talking about speed, but I think it was all great stuff that, um, you know, I think a lot of you guys that are listening are going to benefit from. So, um, again, uh, is, there, is there anything you want to say, Jason, about the uh, Own the Offseason program before we go uh, uh, It's um, We're really excited about it, like I said. Um, no, I think what, if you guys do the speed program or if you don't, uh, it, it will be greatly beneficial to pick it up when it comes out and we're – we really look forward to all the awesome results that you guys have when we finally release it. Yeah, we're going to do a um, – too, me and Jason talked about this. But we're going to uh, uh, outfit, like, the top three uh, guys that, you know, have the best results as well. We're going to outfit them for the season um, with fresh gear, bats, uh, cleats, all that kind of stuff. So we're going to have some awesome prizes with it as well. I think it's going to be really, really fun fun next off season to see all the guys um, – have some awesome gains from the program, so be fun for sure. But um, thanks, Jason. I, I really appreciate you joining the show. Um, definitely going to have you on again. Uh, hopefully the listeners were, again, able to benefit from your knowledge regarding speed. Definitely going to have you more, on more on talk about hitting and other stuff as it uh, relates to coaching. I think you can be really beneficial to all the kids out there as well. I really appreciate you having me, Alex. Thank you. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. It really means the world to me that you're giving me your attention. Um, If there's anything I can help you with, please feel free to email me, uh, DM me. I'd love to help you guys in any way that I can.